Let's do it. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, Major Junior. Hey, Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters. Matt Barzell of Seattle Thunderbirds. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. I'm Braden Holpe for the Saskatoon Blades. This is Gabriel Landeskog. I'm playing for the Kitchen Rangers. Hi, this is Sean Couturier from the Drummondville Voltager. Carter Hart of the Everett Silvertips. This is Taylor Hall of the Windsor Spitfire. Nathan McKinnon from the Halifax Mooseheads. NCAA. Hey, this is Jack Eichel. I play at Boston University. Metallic Turcotte. Hey, it's Kale McCarver. Hey, this is Jack Drury. Hey, it's Kyle Connor. Hi, this is Ian Mitchell of the Denver University Pioneers. It's Morgan Barron from Cornell University. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. Hello, this is uh, Jerry York, the coach at Boston College. The World Juniors. My name is Andres Fischko from uh, Team Russia. Hey, it's Joel Ferby from Team USA. It's Norris Sider from Germany. I'm Philip Broberg of the Team Sweden. It's Ellie Paul Lennon. Hey, it's Nikolai Ehlers. It's Matt Sogard. Hi, it's Timo Meyer. Hi, this is Jordan Edwards of Team Canada. The NHL Draft. This is Alexis Lafreniere of the Rimouski Oceanic. Hi, it's Gordon Bicep from the Sudbury Wolves. Connor Derry from the Camelot Blazers. I'm Alexander Holtz. I'm Lucas Freeman. Cole Perfetti of the Saginaw Spirit. Dylan Holler from the Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Brady Schneider, Caden Dooley. Here's Marco Rossi. I'm from the other sound. And more. Excellent! This is the Pipeline Show. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. That's me. Thanks again. If you are a returning listener, if you're a newcomer, then welcome aboard. I hope you'll be back for more. And of course, if you're a patron at patreon.com slash the Pipeline Show, then I really appreciate your ongoing support. A couple of bucks a month. I hope you're finding it worth your $2 a month uh, to get early access and a heads up on uh, the upcoming guests and the ability to submit questions for guests, uh, all of that type of stuff. If you uh, haven't heard about being a, a patron, then go to patreon.com slash the pipeline show and uh, check it out. Link is on my Twitter feed and all of that, uh, where you can get me on Twitter at TPS underscore Guy. Uh, normally, we'd have a question of the week. Don't have one for you this week. There's lots of news and notes to touch on, though. So let's dive right into that before we get into the guest list and uh, tell you what else is coming up. By the way, the pipeline show is brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's the best beef jerky on the planet. Alberta's Best Beef Jerky. You can find them two locations in the Edmonton area, one in Leduc, one in Spruce Grove. But if you're in Western Canada, you can have them ship it to you. Get in contact with uh, Trent in Leduc or uh, Trevor in Spruce Grove, and uh, they'll set you up with uh, your jerky order. Other stuff on the menu as well. You can ask them about that and go to their website at Wilhock Beef Jerky. Wilhock, by the way, spelt W-I-L-H-A-U-K, so not like the bird. I know some people uh, were confused by that. Well, the big news of the week in the Canadian Hockey League is the official cancellation of the uh, 2021 Memorial Cup. And I guess we really shouldn't be all that surprised by that since the OHL has not found a way to even start yet, which is an interesting topic on its own. Sonia Sapergi from The Athletic uh, writing a story fairly recently. Some talk about why the OHL just hasn't pulled the plug on the season is due to concerns that, well, would that invalidate all the player contracts? And would suddenly all the players in the OHL, would they become free agents? Check out Sanaya's story. You can find her on Twitter as well. Sanaya Sapergi. Been covering junior hockey for a long time. Excellent writer. You've heard here. You've heard her on the Pipeline show as well. So with no Memorial Cup, and you know, I, I did think, I, I wondered if could you have an, 
a Memorial Cup that only features one team from the Q and one team from the WHL and just have like a best of seven series or something like that to decide a national champion. Could you do that without having the OHL involved? And would people, you know, be upset by that? That's the only thing I could think of as as a a way to do a, a Memorial Cup without the OHL involved. But now that it's official, it's done, it's done. In the Q, the playoff format, oh my gosh, what a confusing situation uh, in the queue every team in the in the league makes the playoffs this year that was the plan right away the 12 teams in quebec will be sort of bubbling it up they'll be playing out of four cities the matchups will see uh, valdor against bay como shikudami will take on sherbrooke shawinigan against ramuski victoriaville against roy naranda we'll see the bb armada taking on gatineau and uh, the quebec rampart will face Drummondville. Okay, that's fine. That leaves the six teams in the Maritimes. Well, the release yesterday on Friday came out from the league with the reopening of the Atlantic bubble delayed until May 3rd. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League announced today that the regular season in the Maritimes division will come to an end on Sunday, April 18th. That is this weekend. It goes on to say the Halifax Mooseheads and the Cape Breton Eagles seasons will officially come to an end on Sunday. They will not take part in the President Cup playoffs. So they're just done. Then we'll see the three teams in New Brunswick. They will have a round-robin tournament, nine games, and the team that comes out of that three-team Thunderdome will then play the Charlottetown Islanders for a Maritimes Division champion. And that winner will then bubble it up with three teams out of the queue and have a mini tournament i guess to they're calling it a single protected environment event which uh, the teams will be seated based on their uh, overall standings uh the schedule for that and the location will be announced sometime down the road so what has been a very uh, make it up as we go season in the queue has continued here with the playoffs really unfortunate for halifax and cape breton that after this weekend they're done they don't get even to partake in the playoffs at all may have to track down somebody from out east to uh, come on the show next week and kind of walk us through what's happening out there Uh, i can tell you about the uh, scoring leaders in the queue four of them for the top five come from the charlottetown islanders you have cedric de with 75 points thomas casey right behind him with 72 then there's a big gap down to brett budgel lucas cormier has 51 and then uh, also with 51 points is Matthew Degonier from the Acadie Bathurst Teton. Colton Ellis from Charlottetown has the best goals against average in the league. He also has the top save percentage with a 926 and a 178 goals against average. So heck of a season for the Charlottetown Islanders. You would have to think they're the favorites right now, especially since they get a bye to the uh, Maritime Division final. But I think most people would uh, put the Islanders and uh, Valdor as the top two teams in the queue. Meanwhile, in the uh, Western Hockey League, uh, now that uh, all the players have, uh, the draft eligible guys have moved on to the World U18s to hook up with uh, Team Canada. Uh, so we don't have Connor Bedard anymore. We don't have Logan Stankoven and Dylan Gunther. And well, we haven't had Cole Sillinger in the WHL all season, but uh, he's left his USHL team now. And Tyler Brennan, goaltender with Prince George, is off with uh, Team Canada now. So Uh, Takes on a a, a different feel in the Western Hockey League. Peyton Krebs currently leading the league in scoring with 30 points. 
But when he left, it was Connor Bedard who, uh, with 28 points this year, what a fantastic season. 15 years old, remarkable. A real good story here, Connor McLennan, injury-plagued Connor McLennan. He is a third in WHL scoring with 27 points. The Winnipeg Ice piling up a lot of uh, numbers as they have three of the top four scorers. Sebastian Kosa is the top goaltender in goals against with a 133 and save percentage at 948. Quick rundown of the uh, divisional standings in the Western Hockey League as uh, they're only playing within the divisions this year. Everett leads the U.S. division with 20 points. Seattle is second with 14 Portland has 13 points. They've got a game in hand, though, on both Everett and Seattle. Spokane has won a couple in a row after a slow start. They are uh, next. Tri-City at the bottom with 10 points, but it's fairly close between the uh, the four teams at the bottom. Everett, clearly the best team in the division at this point. In the BC division, Kamloops and Vancouver are 1-2, separated by one victory. Prince George also playing well. Then you have Victoria, who is 1-8-1. And the Kelowna Rockets, who finally get back to action here tonight, this weekend, uh, they've only managed to play two games thus far. In the Central Division, the Edmonton Oil Kings, with a record of 13-1, sit alone at the top. Medicine Hat is 10-3. They have 21 points to Edmonton's 26. The Calgary Hitmen, who are currently on hold, uh, they have 14 points, as do the Lethbridge Hurricanes. The Red Deer Rebels, struggling this year, just six points, and... The big news this week with the Rebels, Brent Sutter stepping down as head coach. He's still obviously the owner and the GM and the president and all those things. Um, but uh, they're going to coach by committee uh, for the rest of the season and then uh, settle on uh, a new coach for next year. And who knows, maybe Brent will come back and, and decide he's ready to take on uh, that job once again next fall. But at the moment, he has stepped aside from the coaching duties. And in the Subway Hub in Regina, the Saskatoon Blades and the Brandon Wheat Kings and the Winnipeg Ice all separated just by a couple of victories. Those three teams uh, have a bit of a, a, a pretty good cushion ahead of Prince Albert and Moose Jaw and Regina. The Swift Current Broncos struggling once again, just three wins out of 18 games this year uh, for Swift. Uh, sticking in Canada before we go to the USHL, the uh, AJHL uh, Fort Mac off to a great start. Ten victories, only three losses, and all three of them in extra time. So a record of 10-0-3. No regulation time losses thus far. They have the top two scorers in the league. Michael Hodge leading the way with 24 points. Uh, he will uh, head to Union College after his AJHL career. Hunter Lamb has 21 points, both of those guys with Fort McMurray. The Brooks Bandits also playing very well this year. Sean Chisholm has 18 points. He's going to Dartmouth. And uh, Chris Pappas with 17 points. He's fourth in league scoring, going to St. Lawrence. Corson Kuhlman's another AJHLer who has uh, now left the league to go play in the World U18s. We'll talk about the U18s uh, later on in this episode of the show. Uh, lastly, before we tell you about the uh, guest list, in the USHL, the uh, Chicago Steel still leading the league in uh, pretty much every facet. They've got the top four scorers in the league. And the league's best record at 35-11-3, a 7.35 winning percentage. They have a six-point gap uh, between they and Muskegon for top spot in the Eastern Conference. The Green Bay Gamblers with 61 points hanging in there as well, but then there's a big drop to Team USA and Dubuque uh, within the Eastern Conference. In the West, 
Uh, Tri-City and Fargo tied atop the standings with uh, 63 points each, but uh, Fargo has played five games more than Tri-City has. Interesting to look and see that uh, the Sioux Falls Stampede, currently in seventh place and now without Cole Sillinger, probably not going to make the playoffs, which would make Sillinger instantly available to the Medicine Hat Tigers after the U18s. Now, he can only play six games, but you might actually see him down in Medicine Hat uh, before the 24-game uh, season is up. And who knows if there's going to be any sort of a playoff structure at all in the WHL. Top scorers, as I mentioned, in the USHL, all from Chicago. Sean Farrell uh, still, well, every time Sean Farrell scores or puts up an assist, it's a new record. 92 points right now for Sean Farrell. Can he hit 100? Mike Coronado, draft eligible, has 82 points. Then there's a uh, almost a 20-point drop to Eric Middendorf and Josh Doan, both with 65. All four of those players, members of the Chicago Steel. Ayrton Martino, Canadian, who was on the show uh, a few weeks ago with the Omaha Lancers. He is eighth in scoring, but remember, he's uh, played far fewer games than uh, most others in the league because he didn't start until after Christmas. In fact, if you went by points per game, I believe he's third in the league. He is. He's tied with Chaz Lucius, who was just on the show draft eligible as well and Cole Sillinger is fifth in uh, league scoring if you went by points per game Sasha Pashuov uh, with Team USA another draft eligible player it's interesting five of the top six are draft eligible and that makes the USHL a league to watch this year maybe even more so than usual let's get to the guest list and uh, as always the guest list is brought to you by Troubled Monk, all my guests uh, will join me via the Troubled Monk hotline, and uh, you can go down to the tap room in Red Deer and stop in. You can pick up beer to go, or you can have it delivered to you. And uh, if you have same-day delivery, because you live between Calgary and St. Albert, including Edmonton and Leduc and Red Deer and Olds and Pinoca and Airdrie, all of those towns along Highway 2 between Edmonton and uh, Cowtown, we're going to include Sherwood Park in the mix as well. Uh, you order online at troubledmonk.com slash shop. And when it comes to the promo code you put in pipeline, that shipment right to your door will be absolutely free. Check out troubledmonk.com and you'll be able to see all of the different beverages uh, options that they have as it changes. seems like every week they have some new flavors available. So check that out. The three guests that you're going to hear from today, we will start with a 2021 draft spotlight. Roman Schmidt is a defenseman with the, the U.S. National Development Program. He'll be at the World U18 down in Texas starting next weekend. You can hear from him. Big defenseman, six foot five, but a real interesting uh, athletic background, uh, some Gen X in his family. Uh, we'll let him tell you about that. Then we'll hear from Regan Bartell, the voice of the Kelowna Rockets, as the Rockets have been off for the last couple of weeks, but are back at it now. I talked to Regan on Wednesday to sort of set the table uh, as the Rockets prepare to get back in action. And we will end this week's episode with uh, Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects, as I wanted to pick the brain of a scout ahead of the World U18 just how important is this year's tournament compared to a normal year? And uh, who are some of the guys that are really going to have to uh, show something in this event? Think of the OHL guys who haven't been able to play at all. Some of them went to Europe, uh, but some of those guys who will be with Team Canada haven't played at all this year and uh, need to show what they can do. Uh, so we'll talk to Tony about the world U18s. But we will start with Roman Schmidt from Team USA. He is up first here on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky, Alberta's best beef jerky. Mm -hmm. 
Stutzler back to Sider, across to Bach. Dominic Bach, great pass in for Stutzler, slides it back across, they score! Hello, this is Tim Stutzler from Mannheim and this is the Pipeline Show. Troubled Monk Brew of the Week sure is a tasty one, but what is it? Bucktooth Belgian White, a light and citrusy, flavorful beer. This Belgian White is a perfect patio pint. Try it with a freshly cut orange to brighten up your already sunny day. Player comparable, Patrick Kane knows what season to turn it on and has splashes of brilliance. Troubled Monk, visit the tap room in Red Deer or get free same-day home delivery in Alberta by placing an order at TroubledMonk.com. Troubled Monk. Craft beverages worth sharing. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. Oh my! Back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, and we're going to turn on the 2021 draft spotlight and get to know another player that's up for the NHL draft this year. Big week coming up, or big uh, couple of weeks coming up for my next guest is the World U18 right around the corner. Uh, but he's also uh, headed to play college in uh, a year or two, so that makes it an NCAA campus report. Those, of course, brought to you by College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family and you need to know what you can or can't do to maintain your NCAA eligibility, well, College Hockey, Inc. is a great resource for that. You can get in touch with Nate Ewell or Mike Snee, and they can help uh, answer any of the questions that you might have. Uh, my next guest is uh, one day will be a Boston University Terrier. I'm sure we'll talk about that shortly, but uh, let's get to know Roman Schmidt uh, from Team USA. Roman, welcome to the program. How are you? Hey, thanks for having me out. Really appreciate it. Uh, it's uh, great to get a chance to speak with you. I know it's uh, uh, kind of a hectic time of year for the program as uh, the World U18 right around the corner, but I guess at least you know you're going to be able to have the tournament, and that was sort of an uncertainty for the last number of months. So, so uh, even though it's busy, I, I bet you're pretty happy. No, 100%. Um, obviously, with that up in question, like that's the big thing here at, at the U.S. Uh, program is that's kind of the thing you work for, that you do your two years of development and then playing USHL games, and then that's kind of the end goal is that U18 World Championship. And, and for us to hear that we got the opportunity to, to be able to go and compete for that gold medal, um, it's uh, it was music to our ears. Well, and I know the schedule for the U18 squad normally in a normal year, you play pretty much a third of your your schedule against in the USHL and, and a whack of games against uh, Division One opponents, and then you have all the international tournaments and stuff like that. You've been robbed by, of so much of that. Uh, really, have you played? How many college teams did you get a chance to play against this year? Um, honestly, I don't know the exact number, but we did get to play a couple of division one schools um we went we went to arizona to play arizona state university that was uh that was quite the experience and we also got out to uh colorado where the uh, air force academy the military uh, school there out right uh, that division uh program out there and that that was uh that was quite the experience their campus there is kind of like an army base so it uh it definitely was uh really interesting but far from what the normal situation is for the u18s you, you normally you'd play like 20 games against college teams no yeah, no, that's correct. But uh, I think we we got some pretty good ones. Like I, I know that the U18 team doesn't usually go out to uh, to Arizona and yeah. places like Colorado and get to kind of see places like that. So uh, I think we're definitely grateful for those opportunities. But yeah, it's, it is tough, like kind of missing out on on some of those Division One games. But I think we got uh, we got quite a few in this year, and, and uh, I think we're all grateful just because of the year we're in. When's the last time you got to play a, a team that was outside the United States? 
Um, I think that was last year, I believe, we played uh, Russia in the in the Five Nations. So it's been a long time coming. I, I imagine you're, you're chomping at the bit to have that international action once again. Yeah, there's nothing like putting on uh, your, your country's jersey and going up against other countries' best players. Like, there, there's nothing like it. There's no feeling like that. So we're definitely amped up. Roman, tell me about this season uh, for the for the program uh, in the USHL and uh, can see your stats and all those types of things. But how do you think this season has gone, uh, Can all things considered? I think with all things considered, like you said, like I think it was a very successful year just being able to, to develop and really get those games. And like, I think we got something like uh, 20 or 30 USHL games. That's a, that's a lot more junior games than, than like the OHL or the WHL. So um, I'm definitely grateful for that. I think everyone on my team is grateful for that. And I think, um, yeah. Yeah, I think you're up to sheet. I'm looking at says 22 games in the USHL for yourself, uh, seven points. But, you know, with everything else that you've done, 38 games uh, and 13 points along the way this season. Uh, Roman Schmidt is my guest. He is a defenseman with uh, Team USA and a big fella, 6'5". And uh, what are you, about 205 pounds? That's what the sheet says, uh, but those sometimes not always up to date. So what are you at right now? Uh, I'm getting right. I'm scratching 210. 210. At 6'5", still accurate, or have you uh, sprouted up a little more, too? No, I kind of, I've kind of stopped a little bit, but uh, that's that's accurate. All right, so you think you've topped out now at 6'5"? At I mean, I hope I possibly can get another inch or two, but I think I topped out. What, what's a comfortable target uh, playing weight for you? Because you don't want to be too big. Yeah, um, I honestly haven't experimented much with that. Like every every uh, off season, I kind of just try to put on like some good like lean muscle to, to to help me get faster and stronger. So honestly, I wouldn't know exactly what my 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 top like performance weight would be, but mm. I'm feeling really good like around what I'm at now, but. I'd definitely like to still put on like a few more pounds of uh, good lean muscle for sure. Roman, what we like to do in this part of the show is uh, let my audience get to know somebody who's draft eligible like you are. And there'll be casual NHL fans who don't care at all about junior hockey. But when the draft rolls around, they want to know everything about all the draft eligible guys. So uh, there'll be people listening and downloading this uh, this particular interview might not have heard of Roman Schmidt. So for people like that, let's give them a bit of insight, if you don't mind. Uh, where'd you grow up? Where are you from? Um, I was born in Midland, Michigan, actually, not too far from where the, the U.S. program is. But I I, um, I mainly grew up in Ottawa, Ontario. My parents moved down there pretty early on in my uh, my childhood. And then I moved to uh, to Toronto um, about when I was 15 years old to, uh, to pursue uh, hockey. Okay, so how old were you when you first moved into Canada? I was uh, like one years old, like right right at the start. So you got a pretty strong connection to Canada. Were one are one of your parents uh, Canadian? Like, do, are you a dual dual uh, citizen? Yeah, no, that's correct. I'm dual citizen, and uh, my dad my dad's Canadian. His his side of the family is uh, Canadian, and uh, my mom is actually Russian. Oh wow, that's interesting for sure. So you have a Russian mother and a Canadian father, and you've got dual citizen, and you're playing for the United States. It's like a United Nations right in your house. Yeah, exactly. My mom actually has an American citizenship too. She um she was a figure skater back in uh back in her day and she was um she actually figure skated in the United States. She trained in the United States, so she lived here for quite a while, so she has a connection to the United States as well. Oh, wow. Do you get your athleticism from your mother or what did your dad do? My dad actually figure skated as well, so I get my I think I get my athleticism from both of them. Wow, well that's fantastic. And I I have to assume then maybe at a young age you were toe picking around the ice too. Oh, absolutely. I, my, I'm pretty sure the first skates I was put in were figure skates. Um, I did figure skate for a while when I was younger. Obviously, because both parents figure skate, they they just kind of 
they kind of put me in that to start off. But yeah. when I was seven years old, I kind of just, I made it obvious to them that I kind of wanted just to, to take hockey um, full on. And uh, that's, uh, that road ended there. Well, you're not the first player that's been on the show that says, that has told me that they were, that they had a background in figure skating. And every one of them have has told me that's made them a better hockey player. Has that translated for you? Uh, I think absolutely. Like, you're just uh, feeling your edges and, and stuff. Obviously, it was a long time ago, but I think definitely starting out like that, you kind of get a feel for the ice in a different way. And uh, I, I'd, I'd honestly credit the most most of my skating ability, though, to, to power skating, mm-hmm. like more hockey-focused power skating. But, uh, no, I think it definitely, the, the figure skating definitely contributed in a, in a way, for sure. But the skating stride is completely different, isn't it, from from – as a hockey player to a figure skater i mean the the construction of the blade itself is vastly different so how does that translate um like you said the the blade is is definitely different so i think that manipulates it a lot like there's there's a huge topic on the figure skates there so obviously i don't think you can i don't think you can skate the same as the hockey skates but all i remember kind of when i was when i was that age when i would flip back and forth was that the hockey skate felt a lot more rounder and uh obviously without that topic like you got to you kind of got to be more back on your heels. You can't be too much on your toes because um, you don't have that extra support there with the, like you do with the figure skates with the with the toe pick, right? So that's kind of the main thing I, I would remember from when I was kind of switching back and forth. Wow. Once you switched to hockey, were you always a defenseman or did you try some other positions? Um, no, I was actually a forward quite uh, for, for a while at the start of my career. And I think, I don't know exactly how old I was, but it was quite early on where my team uh, was actually in need of defensemen. I think we got a couple of injuries on the back end, mm-hmm. and the coach kind of just suggested to me because he, he he noticed that I was like a pretty good skater for my age, and uh, I was comfortable skating backwards. So he offered me if I could help the team out and, and go back there and fill in for the injured players, and I and I said why not? And that's kind of I kind of just stayed back there for uh, up until now, I guess. Is is the backwards skating? Is that maybe where the figure skating comes in? Because in figure skating, you're skating backwards a lot. Yeah, you know what? I've I've honestly I haven't thought about it that way, but I think that that could be it. That's definitely because in figure skating you definitely skate backwards a lot more than you do in hockey, like just in general and and like early on too. Like I know when you're younger, right? Not not a lot of kids know how to skate backwards or yeah. it's not introduced quite yet. But I think no, I think you nailed it right there. Awesome. Look at me. All right. Uh, so you were in Ottawa up until wow, up until like just a couple of years ago. Growing up with the in the, in the OHL's backyard, I know you were drafted by the Kitchener Rangers. There must have been a lot of uh, consideration, at least, given to the Ontario Hockey League. Um, how close were you to to go on that route instead of the college route? Um, I wasn't really that close of going it. Obviously, I was exposed to it a lot, and, and I go to quite a few games. Like and I, like I said, I was exposed to it quite a bit. But after learning kind of more about the national team and and kind of learning more about college and the development route and the less games and more, more development, more time in the weight room, more time um, developing your game. It, uh, that was the way for me. And on top of that, um, you're going to school and getting a degree at the same time. So if everything kind of falls apart and doesn't work out, you have that to fall back on. So that's kind of what pulled me in that direction. Uh, how'd your parents, uh, especially your dad, take it uh, that uh, his uh, half Canadian kid living in Canada is going to go play for the U S um, I think he just took it as, a, as just he's like proud of me and was just uh, he was just full supporting of whatever I wanted to do. Like yeah. he was full, he was behind me. Both my parents were behind me fully of whatever I was uh, gonna choose and and anything in my career, not just that, but just anything moving forward or anything in the past. They're, I think they're always supporting me. 
Of course. I wouldn't expect anything less uh, from a parent, that's for sure. Uh, how'd you get to to the program, though? Uh, when did that come onto your radar? Um, it came to my radar in um, early on in my kind of my OH, the OHL draft year, it was that, that age, that minor midget year. Right. Because um, I honestly didn't know too much about it like prior to that, but they... Um, some of their 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 um, recruitment guys kind of reached out to me and and uh, kind of introduced me to the program and uh, it definitely it caught my family's eye caught my eye and I think like the first time that I visited the program and kind of towards the facility I'm like that this is what I want to do and I I always felt even though I didn't I didn't grow up in in the United States I always felt a, a, a strong connection with the United States being born here and. That's uh, what I want to do, and I wanted to play for the United States of America. And you had lots of choices, I'm sure, of uh, of colleges to pick from, uh, and Boston University is the one, at least on the sheet uh, that I'm looking at, uh, that is the choice for you. Uh, why is becoming a Terrier the right fit? Yeah, I think the the big part is just their history of, of their ability to develop um, prospects and, and put them into the NHL. Like, you will go down the list, you see DeBrusque, McAvoy, Greenway, like all these guys are coming in kind of from the similar spot I am from this national team and kind of grooming their game there and really taking it to the next level. And I think with the extra extra time in the weight room and the extra time on the ice there with the last games, I think uh, that, that was just the, the right way for me. Will it be next year? Yep. Uh, now let's talk about the draft. Um, as we're speaking with uh, Roman Schmidt from Team USA, has the draft been uh, on your mind much this year? And I know this season has been so weird because it started a little bit later than usual in the USHL, and the draft has been pushed back again. And we know what happened to last year's draft. So, so much turmoil. How much time have you spent thinking about the draft? I honestly try not uh, to to think about it like too much, but it's always it's always on your mind. Like that's that's a dream of mine. That's an ultimate goal of mine is to, to get drafted and play in the NHL. Um, that's been my dream since I I started hockey. So obviously you think about it sometimes and it's it's on your mind. But um, I just kind of take it day by day and just try to be the best version of myself at the rink every day and just trying to trying to get better at practice every day, pushing myself and my teammates. And just when it comes down to game time, just uh, going as hard as I can and just kind of leaving nothing to chance and nothing out there every time I'm uh, I'm on the ice. 13 points, three goals in 38 games this year, uh, you know, outside of a stats line. Can you give us a, a self-scouting report and give us a, a better indication of what sort of a player you are? Yeah, I think I'm uh, a big, uh, good skating, two-way defenseman. And uh, my, my kind of my bread and butter is being able to shut down the other team's top lines and really kind of being able to uh, dominate in my own end and really change possession um, in the corners and in front of the net and my own end and being able to move the puck up the ice to my teammates. And then I can also uh, contribute on the, on the offensive side by jumping in the play. And um, I, I like to I like, I like to think my shot is, is very heavy and very accurate from the point. So I try to get that off as, uh, as often as possible in the offensive zone. What area your game gets criticized the most, do you think, or that you think you need to work on the most? I think the, the biggest part for me is just being a little bit more active in the offensive zone. I think I definitely have the skill set and definitely have um, the confidence to, to, to do stuff in the offensive zone. And I think um, that's the biggest part of my game. That I'm just trying to work on and kind of really groom and just being more comfortable, kind of walking, uh, walking the blue line and just uh, kind of move, using my feet to, to open up more passing options or shooting options in the offensive zone. A lot of guys who would, who would be 6'5 and 210 pounds, it might be a skating issue, but that doesn't seem to be as big of a concern for you at this point. 
Um, obviously, I always want to improve it. I, I think that you can never make it like good enough, but I think that's definitely one of my strong, my strong assets in my uh, in my toolbox is definitely my skating, my ability kind of to to move around and and close on opponents in the defensive zone, and then just having good gaps too by moving my feet uh, backwards and um, all over the ice. Forty-seven penalty minutes this year—that's an odd number. So I'm uh, I'm guessing there's an incident or two of uh, dropping the gloves. Uh, unfortunately, and uh, we wear cages in, in our league, so we can't like full on drop the gloves. But right. um, there's a few altercations where uh, like there's one time where uh, a teammate got hit in a way I didn't like, and uh, you just kind of take it from there. It's the emotion of the game. It's a man's game, and sometimes you just gotta you gotta do what you gotta do, right? Uh, of course you do. Uh, now outside of the, uh, not necessarily what I'm gonna ask you about physical play. I'm not talking about dropping the gloves, but. If you're 6'5 and 210 pounds, if I'm your coach, I'm hoping there's a physical dimension to your game. Do you like putting the guys into the boards? Yeah, so that's kind of something that I kind of picked up this year. I usually previously wasn't wasn't a big big hitter or big on the physical side. I kind of relied more on my good stick positioning and my defensive positioning. But this year I've kind of taken my physical play to a whole new level, and uh, it really helps kind of separating the man from the puck, like using using my frame. Not too many other guys are, are my size, so it's uh, – when I can take, when I have an opportunity to to make a hit and separate a guy from the puck, I, I definitely do that uh, more often this year for sure. Awesome. Uh, now, growing up in Ottawa, were the Sens a big uh, team for you as a kid growing up, or were you cheering for somebody else? No, 100%. The Sens were, uh, the, that was the team that I saw for the first time even before I, I started playing hockey. That's kind of what made me want to play hockey was well, my dad was was just kind of a fan, and he would just watch games at night, and I, I would sit there with him and be like, this is something I want to do watching the Sens and obviously I attended a lot of games with my time in Ottawa and uh, watching guys like Eric Carlson really kind of excited me about the, the game of hockey and, and that's definitely I was definitely a Sens fan I still I still am I still follow them um, but yeah that's a big part of kind of the reason that I, I want to pursue hockey and I, and I love hockey to, the, to this day. Awesome Roman I really uh, appreciate your time I enjoyed this conversation a lot uh, I wish you the best of luck at the uh, at the world U18s although you know I'm north of the border so I'm hoping you win silver uh, uh, but uh, <laughs> good luck at the draft and uh, maybe we'll chat again yep thanks for having me I appreciate it here's Roman Schmidt big big defenseman with the US national development team you'll see him at the U18s uh, next weekend I just looked it up he is by far the biggest player biggest skater on that team, Andre Gassa, the uh, uh, forward, is listed at 6'4 and 203 pounds. Those two guys, the only ones that are, you know, that have significant size, I suppose you could kind of throw Charlie Strammel in. He's 6'3 and 216 pounds. Uh, but then you go to the goaltenders and Gibson Homer at 6'5. But you look at the blue line, the next, there's only two players who are up more than six feet tall. Uh, that's Schmidt and Ed Ty Murchison. So, uh, he's really going to stand out. You're not going to have to look hard to uh, see him when he's on the ice, that's for sure. Uh, and I'm intrigued. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation. Great personality. And uh, the, the skating background, uh, starting out as a figure skater, uh, I remember talking, I've had several players on the show who have said something similar. And uh, from what I can recall, they're all pretty good skaters. If you got a six foot five kid, 210 pounds, who's a good skater? Man. That could be a real valuable asset. He, this might be a guy who's a bit under the radar right now. Uh, most uh, lists that I'm seeing see second, third round, uh, but maybe he should. Uh, um, you know, we'll see what the U18 does. Maybe this is a guy who stands out at an event like that. All right, up next, the Kelowna Rockets have been off for the last couple of weeks. They get back to action this weekend. 
broadcaster Regan Bartell. He's up next here on the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Dreisaitl pushes it past Honka. Toad Dragon, he scores, completing the hat-trick. Holy Hatterwood a night for the Deutschland Angler. Hey, I'm Leon Dreisaitl. I'm playing for the Prince Albert Raiders, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Talent, development, NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand scores! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. I got a bad feeling about this. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show, uh, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky known to mankind, and uh, one of the best broadcasters known to mankind is uh, up next. We head out to the BC Division of the Western Hockey League and uh, catch up with Regan Bartell, the voice of the Kelowna Rockets, who are back on the ice finally after a couple of weeks. Regan, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, good to hear your voice. Hopefully it's a smiling voice at the other end of the phone. Boy, I'll tell you, how tough has it been here over the last, what has it been, a year or so? Yeah. You know, just trying to get used to uh, this uh, this new normal, which is extremely odd. I mean, if you look at the Kelowna situation, yeah, way back in March of 2020 is when we were shut down. Our final game was against the Victoria Royals. And it's funny, Gee, when I look back at that day, prior to game time, I had a one-on-one conversation with Kelowna Rocket head coach Chris Millett. And even a couple of days prior, you heard that this supposed virus known as COVID-19 was gaining traction. So, so during my pre-game interview that I had with Chris Millett, I asked him, I asked him the question about, okay, what happens if this virus like really takes off? And, and let's say in a worst case scenario, it, it cancels the entire season. And <laughs> Chris Millett, he looks at me, and at the time, of course, you know, we, we, didn't, we both didn't know where this was going to go. But he just thought I was negative Ned and Debbie Downer. He was shocked that I asked that question. And now <laughs> I look back, and I do have the audio archives, if people don't believe me. But I don't know if I was Nost- Nostradamus on that particular evening. But uh, it was a sign of things to come because, yeah, the season was wiped out. The Memorial Cup was wiped out. The majority of the season has been wiped out, except for this abbreviated 24 and 48 you know day uh, odd abbreviated season but uh oh COVID-19 it's been a mental struggle it's been a physical struggle for a lot of people out there and uh we take it seriously and we just hope that uh now it is out of that Kelowna Rocket dressing room and will not return again yeah well we'll get to that in a second you mentioned the Memorial Cup last year was supposed to be in Kelowna and was canceled and now this year's just announced this week that the Canadian Hockey League has canceled and this uh this year's Memorial Cup as well, and I guess we probably should have expected that without the Ontario Hockey League even playing and the WHL just starting, basically, and the queue's been off and on all season long. Unless they were going to go somehow just have a WHL against a queue representative uh, for the Memorial Cup, but that wasn't going to happen, right? <laughs> 
Right. No. And I, you know, I was a little surprised and am a little surprised that the Ontario Hockey League isn't playing. And I know, yeah, yeah, I see it every day. I see the data every day, the number of COVID-19, you know, positive cases in Ontario. And it's just been a gong show uh, out there, out east. And um, I, I just thought maybe the Ontario Hockey League would try to be more proactive and would really try to, you know, take that square peg and put it into a round hole to make you know, some type of season. I mean, we saw it in the queue, right? The, the, yeah. the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, they have done absolutely everything in their power to play. I and mean, they've been shut down several times. And I'm so confused, honestly, about what's happening on in the queue. I don't know what the fans think of what's happening out there, but because there's been so many stops and starts, and now we're going to try to have a playoff, uh, I don't know. To me, that's uh, that's a little too much to chew. I think the WHL has done the right thing. I mean, it's been a bit of a baby step. You know, at least we got the guys on the ice. At least we're playing some games. We're trying to keep it as clean as we can. And for the most part, it's been, you know, relatively, everybody's been relatively healthy. But uh, the Ontario Hockey League, again, I just thought they would be more proactive in trying to push this thing forward. But uh, they're taking the cautious approach. They know better than I do, and I, I guess I, I give them props for that. Yeah, I, I've liked what the WHL has done. You know, it's it's four distinct differences between each division is doing their own little thing. And we got the, the, uh, the bubble in Saskatchewan and Regina that seems to be working really well. The Central Division, now Calgary is on hold like Kelowna was uh, for the last couple of weeks. Uh, but for the most part, it seems to have been running okay. The hockey that you've seen so far in the BC division, I, I think with a, a year's worth of layoff and inactivity for a lot of guys, I don't know what your expectations were and how rusty the, the hockey was going to be, but it seems like it's been pretty good for the most part. I agree. I think it's been really good. And I, I too, I anticipated everybody to be off to a slow start. I just thought, you know, there's a lot of guys that I talked to, especially the, you know, the kids from Manitoba, they hadn't played or skated for a long time. Sure. They had, you know, been in an outdoor rink or maybe they were working out with a couple of buddies, but still, yeah, rink rust and playing at this elite level. And because there was such an unlevel playing field, some guys were, yeah, we're, we're getting a lot of ice time. Let's say those kids in BC, I mean, they were training from what I understand almost on a regular basis. It's not the same as playing a game, but still, they were on the ice, and they were getting their reps, and they were working on their skill game, that type of thing. But, uh, yeah, I just thought really from the get-go, even the opening weekend, and unfortunately for me, because the Rockets played only two games, or have played only two games up to this point, I was impressed by exactly the jump and the skill level and the, the execution, I thought, on all the teams that I saw. And I was wondering, okay, let's compare that to what's going on out east. And, and out east, I, I caught some of the early action. And I just thought really, Geevee, there was some good energy. And I just thought the emotion that the players showed out east surprised me. I, I just thought that and I know we're all competitors and we all want to win, but everybody says this is a development season. But mm -hmm. from what I saw from all the teams after, let's say, winning a game in overtime, uh, they, they were as happy, uh, you know, winning that game in overtime as if it really meant a whole lot in the standings. I mean, it does mean something in the standings now in this abbreviated season, but it doesn't quite have, you know, that mass appeal as a normal season would. But everybody just seems to be really engaged in the entire process, the you know, the team concept and, and winning hockey games and, and making something and making it mean something. Without fans in the stands, I thought there'd be maybe a bit of a lackluster effort there. But everybody, whether it be in the East, 
the Central, or in the BC Division, all the players are engaged. I just wish the fans could be in a part of the engagement. I guess they are to a certain degree as they're watching the, you know, the video streaming. But, uh, boy, it would be great to see those bodies in the stands just to elevate, you know, the, uh, the, the entire complexion of what we're trying to do out here. But, again, we're going to have to wait to September when hopefully some bodies in the stands, maybe not 100% capacity, but uh, even 70% would be a whole lot better than none right now. Yeah, for sure. And, and I'm with you. I, I wasn't sure what to expect from the effort level from the players to start with, too, because we don't know if there's playoffs, do the standings even matter? And then when I had Brent Sutter on it, I asked him that question. He said, once once the guys are on the ice and the puck drops, everybody's going to revert back to what they know as, you know, the, that muscle memory. They want to win the games. Once the puck's yeah. down, everybody wants to win. And I think that translates to some of the good hockey that we've seen so far. Now, you mentioned the Rockets have only played two games. Do you have a sense of what that team is like? I mean, you had to wait 13 months to get to see them in action. And then you only got to see two games. Yeah, not fair, right? You know, yeah. it's, 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 a, it's a small sample size, but, uh, you know, so what are they all about? Well, we knew there'd be a lot of key veterans that would return. Sure, they lost a pile of guys from you know, the Memorial Cup team when you lose Matthew Wedman and Kyle Topping and Connor McDonald on the back end and Nolan Foote's no longer here. Go through the list. Massive amount of losses. But you still get guys like Caden Korzak back, who, you know, is a second-round pick of the Golden Knights. And you got Dylan Hamlick, who returns as a 20-year-old. A second-round pick of San Jose. He's got a lot to prove. Your, your, your two goaltenders returned from one season ago, so that's great news, too. Uh, so... From what I saw in a small sample size, opening night they were great because uh, they recorded a shutout. They got off to a tremendous start when they uh, beat Victoria, which is probably, I would, I'd say it's, it's to bet that they're probably the weakest team out here in the well, the Rockets got off to a good start with a shutout win, and then a couple of nights later, they go into Kamloops to play Vancouver, and then they're shut out uh, by Trent Miner and the, and the Giants, who look like a pretty good hockey club with so many of their key older guys you know, coming to the table. So uh, what do I think of the Rockets? Well, uh, again, it's kind of a wait-and-see approach here. And what's going to be scary, though, Guy, is the fact that the Rockets have not played a game in 19 days, right? So they yeah. were off for essentially two weeks. They had a quarantine for two weeks, so they haven't played for 19 days. So when they hit the ice against the Prince George Cougars in Kamloops on Saturday, how good will they be? Will they be, you know, will they be clubbed over the head, you know, with a hammer because they're so far behind the other teams? Probably. It's going to be a slow start. What the Rockets are doing right now, practicing, it's almost like two a days. It's like training camp has opened up again here in Kelowna to get the guys back up to speed and, again, to work off some of the rink rust. But how good will the Rockets be here with only 13 games left in their abbreviated regular season? Who knows? But you know one thing that the guys want to play badly. So uh, they'll be playing with desperation. Maybe there, maybe there won't be a lot of tactics, but they're just going to be playing with, a, with an abundance of energy, and, and maybe that'll carry them to good things. Uh, Regan, I, I wonder if you've had the chance to speak with Chris Millett, the head coach, or Bruce Hamilton, GM, and just ask him kind of what they want to get out of this 24-game season. Like, how do you, how do you gauge success when if there's no playoffs? And we don't know if there will be or not, to, for sure, uh, any sort of playoff structure. But how do you... You know, how do you uh, determine if you've had a good good 24-game season? Right. Just getting the playoff thing for just a second, there's been a lot of scuttlebutt about that. But what I've been told is there's no playoffs. Like, I, I don't know where this is coming from unless I know something, and usually I am the last to know. But <laughs> but it, it, it seems like everybody else is talking about it. I know Les Lazarick of the Saskatoon Blades, I think, has referred to a playoffs in the East. I mean, does he have some? is he privy to some inside information? Or, I don't know, you guys in the Central, maybe you guys are the, doing the playoffs. From what I understand... <laughs> 
how, how do you how do you do the playoffs in the BC division when you got like these three teams in in a hotel? I yeah. mean, we're, we're 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 talking these players have been in a hotel for forty eight days. It'll be it'll be actually over fifty days. I mean, so how how do you house these guys longer than what you you committed in this abbreviated season? I mean, this is costing these owners a lot of cash. So I don't know unless somebody knows something I don't. I don't see the playoffs happening here in the BC division once the 48 games or make that the 48 days are over and the 24 games are in the books. Shut her down, boys. We're shutting her down. There's no more games to be played. I mean, that's what I see. But again, unless, uh, I don't know, there's a rainbow and a lollipop uh, at, at the end of this entire thing. Uh, again, I just don't see the playoffs happening. Uh, question was what? What was the question? Uh, what, how do you determine if you've had a successful season or not? Like, what, it, yeah. what are the teams looking for to get out of this 24 games? Sorry to go on that, uh, yeah, a bit of a rabbit trail there. Chris Millette, I thought he had a great quote. I talked to him earlier this week, and he, he talked about the mindset of gratitude. I really like that. I just like gratitude. Gratitude to play. Just just being afforded the opportunity to play. You can't cry over spilled milk is the old saying, right? Yeah, sure. It sucks that you, you know, the, so, several players got COVID-19. You had, what, seven guys who got, you know, COVID or tested positive, And so that puts your season on hold for two weeks. But coming back and talking about playing with gratitude, thankful that you still have 13 games on the sked and you can play against some arch rivals to me that's a real cool thing and chris even said you know the interview that i talked to him he said don't dwell on the negative and you really can't you know i mean we've had so much negativity around us uh in our in our personal lives in our professional lives everybody seems to have you know this real negative you know vibe you know and dealing with COVID 19 because again it's been a mental battle but just trying to be as positive as possible and i think that's a a great mindset for this Kelowna Rocket team. So, you know, to play the young guys, Chris Millette from the very get-go talked about when the season started and COVID-19 was not a problem, or at least it was not or had not infiltrated the Kelowna Rocket dressing room. He just talked about playing the young guys. He said, you know, wins and losses. He wants to win at the end of the night. Don't get me wrong. But really, it came down to development. He was really looking at this team this year being not a power in the BC division. So he realizes exactly what he's lost and what he has currently on his roster. So he, he's, he's played the young guys as much as the, as the older guys. And I, I really like that concept. I know Saskatoon has really, really pushed to win hockey games, you know, using all their key veteran players. And yeah, sure, maybe they want to have some mojo for next year. And they believe that, you know, having a real good, you know, bubble season will somehow elevate them to a winning season one year ago from now. Who knows what the answer is, but I like the fact that Chris Millette isn't really looking at the win-loss column. All he's looking at is development, his guys getting better, and just the, the fact that he wants to see who can fit into these different holes. There's so many holes in the Rocket roster. If some of these young guys can elevate, can show that they are, are truly better than maybe what they showed one year ago, that's what Chris Millette is looking for. So, end of the night, if the Rockets are... You know, fourth in the BC division, so be it. It's kind of a, it's, it's a bit of a throwaway season if you really want to get down to it. And uh, the Rockets, again, yeah, it'll be more for wins uh, next year when hopefully we play a 68-game schedule. Regan, I, I know most of the listeners, they're going to uh, eat up all the stuff that we just talked about uh, about the hockey team. But on a selfish perspective, I want to know what it's like for a broadcaster right now, how different your game presentation is, you know, what you do pregame in a normal season compared to the way you can do things now like how are you doing pregame interviews and how are you setting up your intermissions and do you have a color guy like is Kent uh, Ken Simpson uh, 
joining you in the booth or how different is this season for you yeah it's weird it is really weird at one point i thought maybe i'd be in a hotel and i think a lot of people believe that uh you know the rockets are in a hotel and the camels blazers are in a hotel and that we're kind of in a bubble situation but this is hub hockey here in the bc division what that means is we're playing games in Kelowna and in kamloops only so prince george and vancouver are in hotels in kamloops and so when they play their home games, the Giants and the Cougars are playing at the Sandman Center in Kamloops, as weird as that may sound. The Victoria Royals are based here in Kelowna. They play their home games at Prospero Place. And they do play, you know, obviously when they play the Rockets, they play road games here too. And uh, so essentially the travel is only between Kelowna and Kamloops. Now, in terms of uh, my situation here, I uh, do not speak face-to-face with the coaching staff nor the players. I'm not allowed, you know, down in the bowels in the dressing room where I would normally do my interviews or even outside the dressing room where I do my pregame interviews. I'm not allowed to go face-to-face with the players nor the coaches. And so what I have to do is I have to do the interviews by telephone. There's a lot of guys that have used either Zoom or Skype or whatever. There's a thousand apps out there you can use. I like to just use use the phone, call Chris Millette up. Let's say I, instead of going to the arena at 4.30 in the afternoon for a 7 o'clock game start, I'll come here to the radio station and I'll uh, call Chris Millette on the telephone at around 4 o'clock and we'll do the interview from there. And then, of course, I'll go to the rink maybe a little later than normal and uh, hop in the booth. I don't even think I'm allowed in the building two hours prior to game time. I think it's about 90 minutes prior to game time. So I'll I'll, I'll arrive at the arena, get set up. There's not much chatter because there's no scouts to talk to. You maybe talk to the opposition broadcaster who's more than six feet away. We we keep a you know a fair distance away from one another. And so yeah, you do your you do your games that way. You do your intermissions the same way via via telephone is is what you're doing. And I'm sharing content or audio with other guys across the WHL, and they do the exact same thing. So I scratch their back, they scratch mine. It seems to work out pretty well. And so uh, so far so good. But again, I only have two games. Under my belt, uh, a lot of guys have you know upwards of 10, 12, whatever, 14 games. I'm just kind of getting into it, but so far it's worked out pretty well. Well, Regan, the uh, Rockets back in action on Saturday, so we'll be watching for that. And uh, hey, at least uh, at least you're back in the booth, and uh, the, this long, terrible off season uh, to some degree has come to an end. Yeah, it sure has. Yeah, I mean, it's been crazy. But uh, again, it's been it's fun, the fact that you have something to look forward to. And, you know, even the fans on the outside looking in, you know, they're into it, too. I mean, there's been a lot of people watching NHL games. I think now there's the the interest of the WHL, what's going on. Social media is really the key right now. You know, and I think the WHL has done a tremendous job social media-wise to show the highlights and, and really to get the message out there that there's a lot of dynamic young players in this league that are only going to get better down the road. So if you're a season ticket holder you can't get into the buildings now or even if you're a a fan on the outside you know a peripheral fan that goes to let's say four or five games a year or maybe less than that get excited about the whl for what uh, holds for 2021 2022 because uh, again it's going to be a great season once covid19 is is in our rearview mirror well said regan thanks for this buddy okay take care uh, I hate when I do that. That's Regan Bartell, the uh, voice of the Kelowna Rockets, and me with the uh, incorrect microphone setting. It was funny because I actually kind of in my head I knew that I had screwed it up. So as he was answering the first question, I went back into my settings and I uh, flipped the switch to set it up correctly. Uh, but live and learn, I guess uh, you have to stop and uh, completely start over. I didn't want to do that to my guest. and It was a little embarrassing. Uh, so I apologize to Regan. I apologize to you, the audience, for that. 
Happy for the Rockets, though. Get back to action this weekend and uh, taking on Prince George uh, tonight. And we'll see where it goes from there and how many games they actually get in and whether they're how if they're going to try to make up some of those games or not. It's funny because you look around the league and some teams are getting close and closer and closer to being done. Uh, there are 24 games. Um, certainly in the, the East Division, it's gone pretty quick. Uh, Brian and Weekings have played 19 games, and I think that's because they played a, an earlier game here on uh, Saturday. So they've only got five games left. Moose Jaw, same thing. Clubs in the Central, like Edmonton, Medicine Hat, Calgary, they've, they, they're only at 14 games. So they've got, you know, doing math live on the air again. But uh, I guess that's easy math. Ten games to get to 24. And the U.S. Division, right around that same mark. But remember, they started a couple of weeks after the, uh, actually three weeks after the Central Division. So everybody's going to finish at a different rate. And then you wonder, okay, what are they going to try to do for playoffs? Or are they going to try playoffs? And that was something Regan was weighing in on there as well. Uh, let me hear what you think. Hit me up at TPS underscore Guy on the Twitter machine. All right, one more segment to go, and we'll look ahead to the U18s. A lot of players looking to show what they can do for the NHL scouts that will be in attendance down in Texas. And it's probably more important for some guys more so than others. Who and why? We'll tell you next as I have a conversation with the scout. Tony Ferrari from Dauber Prospects is up next here on the Pipeline Show Brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. One shot on goal for Denmark on that power play. Now McDavid back the other way. In comes Connor McDavid. Loose in front. Hey, it's Connor McDavid of the Erie Otters, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. Bruce Grove St. AJHL Hockey is back for the 2020-2021 season. Due to the ongoing pandemic, the attendance is limited at the Grant Fear Arena in Spruce Grove. You can follow along across social media at SG Saints and support the Saints by heading to sprucegrovesaints.ca and purchasing your Cash is King tickets today. Over $33,000 in prizes to be given away. Again, head to sprucegrovesaints.ca for more information. The Spruce Grove Saints, proud supporters of the Pipeline Show. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool. We are back on the Pipeline Show with Gee Flaming, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and we will... Uh, end this week's episode by looking ahead to the World U18 and uh, some of the players that we need to take note of, specifically that the scouts are interested to watch. And that uh, brings me up to my guest. That's Tony Ferrari, who joins me once again from Dobbers Draftcast. Uh, Tony, welcome back to the program. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. A pleasure to get a chance to speak with you once again. And I know a lot of people are looking forward to the U18s because we've seen these guys so rarely in a lot of cases this year. In your opinion, just how important is the World U18 this season compared to, you know, most seasons? Well, the U18 is always my favorite tournament of the year, and, and that's partially me being a draft guy and this being the big draft tournament of the year. But this year, like you said, it, it's going to be more important. You're, we're going to be seeing guys that 
either we haven't been exposed to because they've been playing in Europe or, or they haven't played at all, especially with the OHL guys. There's going to be a lot of guys that we're seeing for the first time this year, whether it be a guy like Wyatt Johnson or Ryan Winterton or whoever it may be. So it's going to be really important for scouts to kind of get something, some live views or, or even just views on video if they can't get to the tournament. So it, it's going to be an important one for sure. Yeah, and I, that's where I was going to go. Is, uh, is it extra special for the OHL guys and to some degree – some of the WHL guys who have played maybe a month worth of uh, of hockey here, but uh, those OHL guys, some of them, some of them went over to Europe and were able to get some games in there, but outside of the view of a lot of people. So uh, I, I think it's for those OHL guys, it's extremely important. Is there a risk of them maybe putting too much emphasis and too much pressure on themselves? Yeah, and that was actually something I was going to point out is like I've talked to a few of the OHL guys that, have, that are going to be going to the tournament, and they've they've expressed like they they kind of understand that there's going to be a lot of pressure on them in this tournament, and, and they're putting a lot of pressure on themselves to to perform because this might be the only seven games we get to see them maybe, and it's going to be how do you really evaluate them on seven games? I'm always kind of against trying to make those short sample sizes, but this is kind of a, a year where we have to make exceptions to the rule and. Hopefully no one does too much damage to the draft stock or the, the kind of regard that people hold them in. I, I know guys like Wyatt Johnson, like I mentioned, he's a guy that, that's going to be going there, and, and that might be the only games we're seeing because he's not going to be able to get games in with the Windsor Spitfires. So if, if those seven games go really well or really poorly, that could drastically affect the way people view him, despite the fact that maybe he kind of falls somewhere in the middle of where he performs. And those guys are coming in also not having practiced or played a whole lot either. Uh, not only do we only get to see them for seven games, but they're coming in rusty compared to everybody else too. Yeah, that's the thing, right? Like there are the, the OHL guys and some of the WHL guys that have gotten either games in Europe or the start of the WHL season, like Dylan Genther and Brant Clark. They've got games under their belt. They've they've gotten their legs kind of going so far this year. But guys like Ryan Winterton and some of the other OHL guys, Ethan Del Mastro on defense, they haven't had game action. I, I think going into the tournament, we'd kind of look at the goalies and, and go, okay, Benjamin Goudreau's the guy you'd want in net ideally, but, he hasn't played this year, so how how are you really going to rush him in to, to play up against a team from Sweden or Russia or any of these other countries that, that have had players playing all year long, and they're they're going at 100%, and he's still trying to get into preseason form, essentially. Yeah, I'm thinking of guys like Corson Kuhlmans as well. He's only played eight games this season. I think a couple of them might have been in the, in the fall. Um, so, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see how these guys uh, match up with each other and with their counterparts who may have played more. Which which group of players have probably played the most? Which team? I think probably the Swedish kids or the Russian kids. I, I think the Russian kids, they've had very, very few stoppages to their schedule. And with the Swedish kids, even though the Junior League kind of shut down after Christmas, most of the top guys went up to play in the SHL or the second second division league there, the Alpenskin. Right. So we're seeing a lot of those guys getting even more opportunity. And I think for them, this tournament's, hey, what can we do against our age level because we've been playing against men for most of the season? So a player like Fabian Lucelle, who, who's been at the SHL level with Lulia for 20, 30 games this year, he's been playing against men, and he's already a somewhat undersized forward. So we're expecting him to kind of explode at the world under 18s where he hasn't been able to showcase that stuff at the, uh, at the SHL level. Well, that's what's wonderful about this tournament is you get to see them against their peer group. Uh, only the players in born in 2003 or earlier, so they're – uh, mostly draft eligible guys and some younger guys uh, sprinkled in there as well. But um, all right, so Fabian Lysel, one of the guys that you're looking forward to seeing. Uh, who else immediately comes to mind? I, I think one of the guys that immediately comes to mind is Connor Bedard. I, I just want to see him, and, and even Shane Wright, who, like we said, we, he hasn't played this year because he's playing in the OHL. But those two guys are exceptional talents. They've both been granted exceptional status, and 
the WHL and OHL respectively, and, and seeing them play up against the guys that are a year or two years older in Connor Bedard's place, seeing them kind of adapt and see what they do, because we've seen what they've done against OHL and WHL competition. What Bedard's done to start the year has been extremely special. So mm-hmm. those are kind of the two guys on Canada outside of the OHL guys that I'm really looking forward to. And in, in terms of the OHL guys on Canada, at least, I, I think Wyatt Johnson's the guy I got to really pay attention to because he had a really good year in, in Windsor last year, especially towards the end of the year where he was put with John Luke Booty and Will Cooley a little bit. And he really seemed to get those two guys going in a, in a year where they were struggling a bit. So seeing a guy like that kind of get into, get into the game action and kind of get flowing, I, I think it's going to be really important for him. Uh, with Bedard and Wright, they're not draft eligible yet. It's a couple of years still away for for Bedard and, um, and Wright is uh, what he's next year, isn't he? Twenty twenty two. Yep. Uh, now with the OHL guys, uh, some of those uh, fellas that went overseas. I mean, how do you get a read on a guy like Brant Clark or or uh, Brennan Othman or uh, Mason McTavish? I mean, they all look like they had good experiences over there and, and put up some numbers. But how do you judge what they did there? compared to what they would have done in a regular OHL season. So uh, is, is it kind of telling, okay, let's see how they do in an event like this as well to kind of get a better gauge? Yeah, I think the big thing with them was when they were over in Europe, especially uh, a guy like Francesco Pinelli, who was playing in a, a kind of a lower-end league in Slova- Slovenia. sorry. But all, all four of those guys are playing overseas, and, and you look at them and you go, okay, are their tools translating? Are, are they able to find success with the things they do well and that we've seen them do well at the OHL level? And we, we saw a lot of that. And, and there are concerns, obviously, that arise. And a lot of that might have to do with playing against men. So we're going to be able to see a lot of the same issues that we see with Swedish, Russian, Finnish kids, where we go, okay, they, they look decent against men. How are they going to look against their own age level? And we're going to get a view of that kind of with this year because it, it's been a unique year. So seeing Brant Clark play over in Slovakia, seeing Francesco Pinelli in Slo- Slovenia, and uh, McTavish and, and Othman kind of playing in, in the Swiss League, it's going to be interesting to see how they adapt from going against playing against men to playing against their peer level again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carson Lambos, uh, what's the update on him as far as you know? Uh, right now, it's just a medical thing that he's still dealing with, and uh, they're not being too, too revealing about it. But, I mean, it's a kid's medical record. You don't want to dive too much into that. But it, it seems like he'll be ready for training camp in the fall, wherever he is. I assume he'll be back in Winnipeg. But it's uh, it's a concerning thing because we watched him play in Finland and there were times where he clearly looked uncomfortable over there and, and maybe that was just due to the being a bigger ice surface and he was adjusting to a lot of things there. And, and there was a, I talked to him earlier this year and, and there was a, also a language barrier that he was trying to deal with. So mm-hmm. it, with him, it would have been awesome to see him come to the WHL and play, but the medical issues taking him out and it looks like it'll take him out the rest of the season. Um, hopefully he can get back in for a few games, but it, it's looking pretty doubtful at the moment. So is Canada replaced him or are they just going to go with one fewer player? Uh, they replaced him, actually. If I'm not mistaken, it was Olin Bellweger that uh, got added from Everett. Okay. Uh, little, little undersized defenseman, got some speed, got some skill, a really good passer on the back end. So he kind of brings a, a bit of a different element than some of the other guys they got back there. will be interesting to see how Cole Sillinger kind of fits into the group now as well after uh, leaving the dub because they weren't sure if the dub was going to play at all when he left. And uh, it's been very good uh, in the USHL. But uh, how does that kind of compare to... Uh, his WHL counterparts, do you think? I, I think he's had a really good year this year. I think he, he probably made the right decision for himself. I think getting as many games in as, as as possible is always a good idea in your draft year. And he's looked great in the the w, or the USHL, sorry. Um, I, I think it, it's really interesting because we saw him play in that, that All-American game a couple or last week or a couple weeks ago. 
and he was wearing a USA jersey, and now he's going to be putting on a Canadian jersey again. <laughs> he, he's in a unique situation because he does have that dual citizenship, but he's made it pretty clear that Canada is the, the country he's going to be competing for internationally and everything. So he, he's had a good year. I think he's going to be a, one of the better players on this team. He's, he's going to be one of the biggest offensive threats at the tournament. Um, it, it's going to be fun to watch him because, yeah, getting back into flow with some of the WHL guys that maybe gets a chance to play on the line with Genther and, and kind of tear things up because I think that would be a really fun thing to watch. Speaking of Dylan Gunther, get your opinion of him as a guy from outside the Edmonton market. Uh, what sort of impression he makes on you? He's been really good this year. Like, there's no denying that. He's put up some monster numbers. And early in the year, there was a little bit of trepidation from me because there was a lot of it coming on the power play. But he's kind of boosted up those five-on-five numbers. He's playing the role I kind of not necessarily expected him to play, but he, he's doing what I thought he would do, but better than what I thought he was going to do it. So it, it's been really interesting to kind of see his development over the year, especially because, to be completely honest, there was a little bit of concern coming off that short AJHL stint that he had because he really did just seem completely uninterested in there. And when you when you look at the talent level that he has compared to the talent level that he was playing against, he was still putting up three points a game or, or something right around that, <laughs> looking disinterested. So seeing him come to the WHL and continue to dominate offensively, it's been really fun. There's stuff he has to work on. I think he needs to pick up his pace a little bit at times, but Man, the way this kid just kind of thinks the game, it, that's what's really going to take him far. Tony Ferrari is my guest. He's uh, from Dauber Prospects and hosts the Dauber Draftcast as well. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter uh, at the Tony Ferrari, uh, fastest Twitter handle out there. Uh, all right, tell me about this U.S. team, and uh, this is a tournament the U.S. usually does very, very well at. They build up to it for a couple of years. Uh, who are the standouts on this American squad that uh, we should watch for? Well, the U.S. team's in a little bit of a pickle right now because they, they have a few players missing from their roster with Luke Hughes going down with the injury to his foot and, and Jeremy Wilmer and a few other guys that aren't going to be there for, for other little injury reasons. So, But a guy like Chaz Lucius, who he kind of started his season late, even though the, the USHL was on time, because he was dealing with a lower body injury and he's done nothing but score the lights out. He's been scoring at a, at a rate similar to Cole Sillinger, similar to Ayrton Martino and all the, the top guys in the USHL. And he's doing it without having the start of the season that he, that everyone else got. He, he didn't get that runway. He came in mid-February and has just been scoring since. He's going to be a really big offensive catalyst. But I think this could be a showcase tournament for a guy like Jacob Martin on the back end who doesn't get as much public love. But when you look at all the metrics and when you look at who's driving play a lot of times, he's making so many good plays on the defensive end and just getting it to the players that make the plays. So I, I think he's going to be a really big kind of a, a name that comes out of this tournament with a little bit more love. And then there's the guys that we all know about, and Aiden Hreshchuk, Dylan Duke, Sasha Pashyov, and I think they're all going to do really well. I think this is a strong roster, but they are missing a couple of their better, higher-end players in, in Hughes and Wilmer. Who Wilmer doesn't get a lot of love, but he, he does a, any line that he goes on, he kind of fixes it and makes things go. So it, it's going to be interesting to see when they don't have that player and they don't have that dynamic presence of Luke Hughes on the back end. But this is an opportunity for guys like Aiden Hreshchuk, Jacob Martin, and, and even Sasha or. Uh, Sean Barron's to step up and, and be those play drivers from the back end for them. Just had Lucius on the show a couple of weeks ago. Really enjoyed the conversation with him. Uh, this week, Roman Schmidt was on the program. Uh, big defenseman, biggest guy on their blue line by far. And, and told me he was, uh, he's a former figure skater. Both his parents are figure skaters, and that's kind of where he got his start from. But what's his skating like as a big guy? He's, he's a really good skater. I think that's his biggest strength. I think there's a lot of projection with him for the draft. I think whatever team does end up drafting them, it might be a little bit higher than what the public kind of sphere and, and even myself would think that is going to go, but he's got so much upside with that skating ability and he needs to work on his hands and some of the, the finer points of his game, but 
he's got so many things that NHL scouts love. Uh, the skating is fantastic. It it makes sense that he's got he's got figure skaters for parents because the way he moves, it, even especially laterally, it's not something that you see a lot in the, in bigger blue liner. So it's it's really impressive to see. And like you said, he could be one of those guys that he's not going to put up a ton of numbers, but he's going to be a presence on that back end that's kind of moving the puck up ice and playing stout defense. Is there a, a obvious standout number one goaltender for uh, the Americans? There really isn't. I, I think Gibson Homer and, and Caden Embarico, they're, they're, they've been kind of splitting the net pretty evenly this year. And in my opinion, I think Embarico is going to be the one that kind of takes the reins maybe. And he, he's the more athletic of the goal, two goaltenders. He's the one that kind of makes the big save when it matters. And, and he was the one that, that play, seemed to play best lately. So I think they're going to go with who the hot hand is and, and kind of roll into the tournament that way. And, and for me, it'd be Caden Embarco. But if they go with Gibson Homer, I don't think they're making a mistake by any means. All right. I don't want to keep you too much longer. Uh, of all the uh, the Euros that are coming over, are there half a dozen guys that uh, are uh, must-watches on your list? Yeah, I'll start with the, the Swedish kids. I think the, a lot of the top names are going to be guys that you're going to want to pay attention to there. I mentioned Fabian Lucelle already. who's exceptionally skilled. Uh, plays with an incredible pace. He, may, he maybe plays the fastest of any player in, in the draft this year. But there's guys like Simone Robertson who who hasn't gotten a, gotten a lot of love. I, I see him either really high on lists or kind of low, and he doesn't really have that middle ground. So I think maybe this will be the tournament that he's able to showcase his shot and his transition game. But there's a few guys that like on on Finland that I, I really really like, and Samu Tuomala and Samu Solomon who who are probably going to play on a line together, and they're going to be playing with 2022 prospect Brad Lambert, who we saw at the World Juniors, and he was an exceptional talent at the World Juniors, really fun to watch, and. He's not playing against 20-year-olds now. Now he's going to be playing against that U18 group, and, and we're going to see how much his game has progressed since, since uh, December and January. Um, they've got a few guys on the back end. I think fin- Finland might be that team that no one really expects a lot from because we don't see a lot of these guys. A lot of them do play in the pro leagues in Finland at a younger age, so you're not seeing them even at some of the lower-end tournaments because they don't send them there because they're too busy with the, the Liga teams. But a guy like Valtteri Koskala or Alexi Helmosalmi could really start to put themselves on the map because those are guys that I've talked to NHL scouts. And I remember specifically when I released my, my first ranking in in January, I had a a couple scouts reach out and go, why'd you put them on your list? You you don't need to let people know about these guys. And for me, that's always a a good sign of things I'm doing right. So I I think those two are names that could go. And and then with Russia, I think that's a team you always got to pay attention to as well. And I think you're going to get Matt Vemichkov, who's a Connor Bedard's, biggest rival maybe for, for the first overall pick, but I, I think there is a gap there between those two, but he's an exceptional talent. He's setting records in the, the MHL Russian junior league. If he was old enough to play in the Russian pro league, he probably would have been this year. And it's going to be really interesting to see him go, but they've got the two, two biggest uh, prospects on their roster are probably going to be Fedor Svechkov, who's a defensive specialist. He's got some creativity offensively, but he's known for that two way game. And, and then they've got the insanely skilled Nikita Chipperkov, who's just going to, dazzling and dance around guys like he does at every international tournament seems and then when he goes back to his club team he'll underwhelm a little bit but he's a guy that likes to play on the big stage and he's probably going to show up at this tournament tony before i let you go how do uh, people track down your stuff and uh, listen to the show uh you can just find me on twitter like you said at the tony ferrari uh all my stuff's posted there but follow dauber prospect that's where all my writing is at and then for the for the podcast dauber's draftcast always focusing on the nhl draft i've got two big world or world under 18 previews coming out with uh, chris peters and Stephen Ellis from the Hockey News. So it's going to be a fun one the next couple of weeks. So uh, give that a listen. Awesome. Lots to look forward to. And Tony, I really appreciate you setting the table for us. Uh, thanks for doing this. Look forward to chatting with you again. Yeah, no problem. It's always fun to hop on with you. Yeah, no problem. 
<laughs> Tony's a great guest. Always a great job. Uh, lots of insight into some of the players that uh, he's going to be watching for. And I got to agree with him. The Those guys that from the OHL that didn't have a chance to go over and play in Europe, at least those guys were able to, you know, perform and played pretty well. Those other guys, there's probably seven or eight of them. Uh, this is this is a huge event for them. And I hope that there's not like too much pressure on them. That, and then they don't have a good tournament. Uh, small sample size and all that. And I'm sure the scouts, everybody will take that into consideration. But, man, this is a prime opportunity for some of those players uh, to really show what they can do. Let alone the guys from the Q and from the uh, OHL or from the WHL, rather. And, you know, guys like Cole Sillinger, who uh, have had to leave the country and uh, play elsewhere. Then you've got all the Euros and the American Club. Uh, should be a fun event. I believe TSN is showing at least the Canadian games and the medal round, uh, but I'm not 100% on that, so you might want to uh, check it out wherever you are to see. You might have to uh, do the old uh, online feed uh, that you can track down from various various sites out there. That wraps up this week's episode, so it's cleanup time and a reminder to get your bidet from hellotushy.com slash pipeline. HelloTushy.com slash Pipeline. You get an automatic 10% off just for throwing Pipeline on the end there. Once you've started using a bidet, you're you're going to find it weird not having a bidet if you go to somebody else's place or something like that. It's time to stop wiping and start washing. Get yourself a bidet from Tushy. Next week on the program, the U18s will be uh, definitely in focus. Uh, I was expecting to get a player from Team Canada on this week. Uh, that fell through as there was some communication problems between CHL clubs and Hockey Canada on whose responsibility it was right now uh, this week. Uh, next week, I know who it is that I need to talk to, so I'm hoping to get one, maybe two players from Team Canada on the show, draft-eligible guys, and uh, lots of other stuff we'll get to next week. I've been vaccinated. I just got it uh, a week ago yesterday. Uh, my daughter has been vaccinated. So is my wife. I recommend that you get vaccinated as well when it's your turn. And uh, together we can all put this damn COVID uh, year behind us more than a year now. Four, what are we up to? 14, 15 months of this? Man, can't wait till we can get back into the rink once again. All right, until next week, my name is Keith Flaming. See ya.